Welcome to the Poultry Health Today podcast, where we talk all health, all the time. Hear engaging interviews with today's leading industry experts. Hosted by Poultry Health Today editors, podcast episodes highlight the latest ideas, insights, and advice to improve poultry health, welfare, performance, and food safety. Hi, I'm Rhonda Pick, Managing Editor of Poultry Health Today. With me is Dr. Guillermo Zavala. He is President of Avian Health International in Athens, Georgia. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I know in your role, you do a lot of global traveling, uh, more than 40 countries every year. This gives you a very unique perspective from a disease standpoint. Um, so today we'd like to spend a little bit of time talking with you specifically about Newcastle disease. And what are you seeing as you move throughout the globe as far as trends or, or incidents of Newcastle? Well, um, as you probably know, Newcastle disease is probably one of the most important diseases, uh, infectious diseases uh, with, a, with a very heavy economic impact. And um, what we see around the world, it really goes by, by area, but if I would venture to say that many, many countries between the two tropics of Capricorn and Cancer, uh, the vast majority of countries are pretty significantly affected with Newcastle disease. Other areas, northern and southern latitudes, uh, do get affected uh, on occasion and sometimes with heavy impact, but it's not a, a problem that is as frequently seen as what, uh, what you would see close to the equator. And in general, we think of Newcastle in, in a couple different camps. There's the virulent type that's more responsible for more high mortality rates and um, then there's also more of the milder type that's sort of ever-present. Um, in the U.S. specifically, what are you seeing as far as the recent state of affairs with Newcastle? Sure. Well, in the U.S., or I would say the U.S. and Canada, yep. uh, in general, you would, you would say that most of the strains that circulate in the heavily populated areas are what we call lentogenic or very mild. They do cause a little bit of disease, uh, respiratory problems, a little bit of um, uniformity, things like that that are not exactly very obvious. They're just respiratory problems. Uh, but there are some pockets where uh, you might have very, very significant problems because the viruses that circulate, like in California, uh, do have a, a tremendous economic impact from many points of view. But but for the most part, it's important to emphasize that most of the strains that circulate in most of the uh, broiler areas, layer areas, uh, tend to be on the milder side. When managing Newcastle, why is management and starting in the breeder flock so important? Um, it is important because you always have to couple the vaccination programs that you implement in breeders and in broilers. In other words, if you, like many companies, are fully integrated, you're going to have the breeders, which you want to protect, and you have to vaccinate them very intensively to protect them. But in doing so, you are stimulating a type of immunity that is going to be transferred to the progeny, and it makes it a little bit challenging to vaccinate the progeny without interference from that protection induced in the breeders. So I guess the, the main message is every time you design a vaccination program, you have to think about both the breeders and the progeny. 
in addition to vaccinating the breeders, what are typical steps taken with the broilers as they, you know, enter into the stream? Um, well, I would say the vast majority of broilers are going to be vaccinated in the hatchery. And in a country like the United States or even in Canada, if broilers are vaccinated, they will be vaccinated exclusively once in the, in the hatchery. There may be a case where you might grow very heavy broilers that uh, are going to remain in the field for probably up to, I would say, 60 days, 62 days. And in that case, if you're in an area where you are concerned about a possible challenge, then you would vaccinate again in the field uh, as a boost vaccination. Now, that is in the United States. Of course, if you think about Southeast Asia, North Africa, Middle East, Latin America, and some other areas, you would not be as conservative and you would have to implement a very aggressive vaccination program. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, Newcastle is present, but you also have other things like infectious bronchitis that's present. And, and what's a decision tree look like as far as how do you know what to protect when you have multiple things going on? Always rely uh, very much on the laboratory. Of course, your experience, your clinical experience, your expertise in good management and production practices, good ventilation, good environment, good animal welfare, all of that is, of course, very critical uh, because animals that are well taken care of are going to respond very, very well to any challenges. Now, having said that, uh, it's always very important to have in place very good biosecurity, uh, trying to prevent uh, possible outbreaks uh, and of course, implement a very good vaccination program that is going to be aggressive enough to protect the birds, but not too much such that you would start causing noise in the production system. So uh, those things are basic things to consider when you're thinking about Newcastle disease prevention and control. As, we, as you look at your global landscape and your global view of Newcastle disease, as an industry, what are we doing really well? And on the flip side, where do we really need to step up to the plate and, and tackle things a little differently? Well, <clears throat> you always have to think about economics. And it's, it's a fine balance between deciding how much to invest in disease prevention. Uh, you would like to invest as much as necessary to protect the health and the welfare of animals. But at the same time, if you overdo it in vaccinating too much, um, perhaps you start paying a price that is not necessary to pay. And, and you would have to consider exactly the same uh, set of items, whether you are in North America or in Southeast Asia, or it doesn't really matter where. So basically the message is you need to adapt your, the intensity of your vaccination programs and, and your investment in biosecurity and disease control depending on what, what the risk is. Your, your risk is, is going to determine all those things. What are you seeing from a, you know, a trend standpoint, um, specifically with Newcastle disease, um, both in the US and other markets that you travel to? Okay, well, in the United States, uh, <clears throat> the situation is generally very stable. Yes, currently we have some hiccups in uh, California because of uh, non-commercial chickens and eventually those viruses reaching the commercial populations, which is the exception rather than the rule. Now, in other areas of the world, you asked me about trends. I would say the trend is sort of stable, but we know that these viruses are very slowly evolving 
and generating uh, so-called, I wouldn't say variants per se, but um, genetic variations of the original viruses that are starting to make a little bit of a difference. For example, in North America, <clears throat> we have a dominant genotype 5, which is a type of uh, genetic makeup and antigenic makeup, slightly different from what you would find in areas like the European Union, and slightly different or significantly different from what you would see in Southeast Asia, which is dominated by genotype 7, or in South America, genotype 12B, for example. All vaccines protect very well against all of those different genotypes, but we have to really pay attention to the fact that the viruses are starting to slowly change on us, little by little, possibly making it uh, necessary in the future to start adapting vaccines to optimize the protection that they provide. So far today, they're doing a very good job. We've been talking with Dr. Guillermo Zavala, president of Avian Health International. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Poultry Health Today podcast. To get the latest news and interviews delivered to your inbox twice a week, subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting poultryhealthtoday.com join.